Hello and welcome to the West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club. I am your host, author, writer, creator Tyler Bell of the uh, long-running, sometimes awarded, and uh, and much beleaguered West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Dark Fiction podcast. I hope you guys are all having a good time, a good day. It is officially January 2023. Sliding in there, I can't even believe it. It. it and, you know, I keep seeing the memes. I keep seeing the memes everywhere. And it's I'm still processing 2020. Uh, I haven't quite got, yet gone over uh, 2019. You know, 2014 still haunting me. Now it's 2023. And, uh, you know, it is. Hey, man, it happens. Um, last year was supposed to be. And, you know, I'm not saying it wasn't. I'm not saying it wasn't. But it was supposed to be my uh, my the big year of the West Side Fairy Tales. You know what I mean? This is That was going to be our. It was going to be our time. God damn it. And uh, and it sort of was to a degree, you know. I didn't have a bad year. We um, we kind of got through the first year of the launch of uh, the Eyes Beneath My Father's House as my first published book, self published. Oh 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 no! But um, I, I finally started going to uh, conventions after the COVID restrictions ended. I've been meeting people left and right, making a ton of new friends. The convention. The convention circuit is absolutely 100% worth it, especially the ones that I'm doing. Um, and, you know, it has been – it's just been a great time. It's been a really good time, a lot of fun. I've been selling books like crazy. It's good to see that, you know, I, there's there's genuine interest in my book um, and my writing and me as a creator in general. I'm not necessarily meeting people that already know about me, but everybody that I talk to is like, wow, that book sounds great. I will buy a copy you sound like an interesting author. And, you know, I might be, I might be still sitting on some TBR piles. I'm not necessarily getting all my, uh, my reviews back. Hey, I bought Tyler's book at the thing or other, you know, and maybe some of them hate him, but, uh, in either case, you know, I'm, 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 I'm getting pulp off the shelf. You know what I'm saying? And that feels, that feels fucking amazing. And I'm making some new friends. I've sold almost all of my original investment of books. So to say, I don't know how to describe that better, but basically, um, I bought, at personal cost, at extreme personal cost, like $650 worth of fucking books. Um, when I, uh, when, when I, when I launched the, the eyes beneath my father's house, which is, you know, a substantial amount, uh, especially for an indie person, a lot of indie people, they don't sell five. They really, they don't sell five books. They don't even sell fucking 10. You know, I mean, maybe in, you know, if they're, if they're as old as me, you don't get a lot of pity purchases from like family and stuff either. And I'm, I'm far out doing that. You know, I've sold almost that original fucking hundred. I've sold a bunch online too. So, you know, I'm moving it and that's without any advertising budget or anything like that. So I'm, I'm really grateful for everybody's support. Um, as a, as a person that was just out here doing it raw the first time, like literally just popping off and being like off my own, off my own personality, talent, and like the small community that I've, I've created, you know, I managed to do some, some pretty cool shit. And, uh, you know, I have you guys to thank for it, but, um, 2022 was a rough fucking year, man. Um, I got my, I got my teeth kicked in over and over again, and I'm glad I went into it in a positive way. And I'm, I've been getting more and more positive kind of as the years go on and I get more adjusted to this sort of like existence. I don't know why I was so just depressed. I think maybe it was really like COVID, you know, once you can start fucking leaving your house, everything starts feeling better. I was like, man, I was, I've been such a Debbie downer. And it's just because like 2019 actually legitimately did suck. And then 2021 and 2022, you know, the first two years of the twenties were just absolute nightmares. But this year, which I was like, this is going to be my kick-ass year. 
Um, I got COVID and COVID fucking murdered me for a month. I had a mild like little work breakdown where I was just like absolutely, absolutely overburdened with all of the stuff that was kind of, you know, going on. But I did three conventions, which was wild. Uh, one particularly largest one, large one, medium, large one, medium, large one. Yeah. Um, one extremely tiny one and then one moderately tiny one uh, mostly mostly small fry stuff which is good it's a good it's a good way to tip your to, to dip your toes in the in the the water so to say and kind of get used to stuff but um as i'm getting you know more comfortable and stuff i met people out there and uh long story short rambling here over and over and again um i have a publisher i i officially i'm i'm with henlo press out of huntington West Virginia. Um, they're a great, they're very tiny, brand new. I think I, I can't remember exactly, but I think they've been going for about two ish, two and a half years now. So, I mean, they're literally, you know, one of the smallest of the smalls, but you know, they're building up and it's, it's great. They're, they're fun people to staff of like two, three ish, <laughs> uh, people, but, um, you know, they're, they're, they're small and they're passionate. And, um, I introduced them to my novel West by God and they liked it. And we are moving forward from there. Still got to do like signing stuff and all that sort of shit, but it's going to have good. It's going to be good to have somebody else just in my corner, setting shit up for me, helping me with marketing, helping me set up all these convention appearances and all that stuff, handling, you know, all, all these mini minutia with book launches and shit, which is just an absolute absolute pain in the ass. Uh, but once all that stuff is, you know, not a thing that I necessarily have to deal with consistently anymore. It's not all the way on my plate. I'll have a lot more time to make shit. And, um, also, you know, I'm going to be doing a big push the book. Um, as I said before, West by God, I don't know if I've told you guys about it necessarily. It is, um, fairly short, in, in the grand scheme of long form Tyler short stories, it was definitely the one that was like, this should be my initial novel so that if I have one out there, it's definitely more, um, less of a time investment. Of course it's about, uh, I think 86,000 words. So it, in, in the grand scheme of, uh, relativism, that's about as long as I think the second Harry Potter book is about 80,000 words, some 80, 86, whatever. Um, you can read it in a weekend. As a matter of fact, the Henlo Press people did. And when they were finished, um, it was actually Courtney that works over there. She said she finished it. And she's like, actually, that was really good. And I'm like, yeah, 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 it was. It's fucking great. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's good news for me. The uh, story is actually about, sorry, the story is actually about a uh, young cub reporter. Um, maybe not necessarily a cub reporter, but a young woman who is a reporter working in West Virginia and she finds out she's pregnant and like almost the same day, you know, big storm cloud of threes. She ends up going down to a uh, remote mountain town in order to cover the initial stages, the opening uh, proceedings of a very high profile murder trial. And as she gets down there, she finds that and not everything is, is, uh, is what it seems. And it's a wild dude. It's all, it's off the fucking chain. It's definitely got my, um, if you guys liked scars in time, uh, it's very similar vibes. It's that sort of twin peaks in West Virginia feel with a very powerful helping of Tyler, uh, sprinkled in. It is the first appearance of specifically, 
you know what? No spoilers, but th- there's a lot of initial appearances of characters, secondary appearances of characters that folks out there have been waiting to see. And that will be um, being released in the fourth quarter of 2023. So West by God, put it on your calendar, check it out. And I'm, I'm going to be really hitting this launch unfucking believably hard. We're going to be doing a Kickstarter. They do Kickstarters to cover preprint costs, which is a good idea. And um, I'm going to be out there trying to do media circuits. I'm going to be doing actual fucking advertising for stuff. I think I might try to shoot a short film uh, advertisement. You know, like they do this book trailers. I think I might try to really like flex my, my, my fucking dick out here and, uh, and try to make something cool with that. Also on that note, uh, moving on, moving on from hello press, very good news. Uh, knock on wood, knock on wood that it all stays together. Um, but moving on from that, uh, we are going to be having the moons Kickstarter here coming up very shortly. Um, I was wanting to launch it in January. I still might be able to get to it ish. I've got to do a bunch of catching up from the fucking holidays. I mean, you guys know how it is, but, um, as I'm, as I'm kind of getting a little bit deeper and deeper into it, um, that Kickstarter is going to be coming along soon, hopefully by February. I've got to make a video for it and um, basically set up the Kickstarter page, which is his own big-ass pain-in-the-fucking-dick kind of thing. But hopefully that uh, that gets big. Apparently, Kickstarter is really good about sharing projects out of Kickstarter, um, <clears throat> especially if they look good, because there's a lot of... Uh, curation on Kickstarter to make sure that people don't absolutely just abuse the uh, platform to like raise illicit funds and stuff. But uh, the basis for that is going to be basically just making the game, like making a bunch of card packs and stuff. And I'm going to be making really good ones. And if you've uh, wanted to play moons, that's going to be one of the best ways to do it. Now uh, time for the quick plug. The um, West side fairy tales is on Patreon. As I, as I know many of you know, and uh, we now have currently what we call the West Side Beta Program, and that's where you get to, you get to do a little bit of play test, a little practice test on various products that we're going to be putting out. I have not yet put it on there, but um, I am going to be uploading to Patreon as soon as I can do all the the layout stuff for it, which isn't that hard, but it is still a, t- a little bit of work. But as soon as I can get um, all of that done, I will be putting a printable version of the card game for those of you who would like to print it out and uh, and try to play it um, on your own. I think I will also be including that like downloadable PDF of the cards uh, where you can kind of just print it out on you know cardstock, whatever, regular paper, cut it out with a nice little cutter, and then you'll be able to just play the game just to play it, you know, like kind of like a beta test or just for fun. Um, at your leisure, at your desk. You know, um, I've actually had some guys in Louisville play test it, and they basically helped me um, kind of work out some of the rules. They're a little bit more hardcore type fellas. And uh, they put they they printed them out and then put them in um, plastic card sleeves, and apparently it worked very well. So um, that's that going forward. So if you guys are interested in Moons, I've talked to I've talked about it pretty substantively, you know, uh, over the course of this whole thing. But, um, if you, uh, if you're not a hundred percent familiar, it is a, uh, card game based on phases of the moon. It features a little bit to a degree in, uh, sin carriers because I was thinking about it a lot at the time and I thought it would be fun to include it as a plot element. 
Um, and then it sort of kind of like really became a, an extremely powerful plot element. But um, that is going to be available on Patreon, patreon.com slash Westside Fairy Tales. Please pop on over there if you want to check that out. That's a t- ten, the $10 level, the Ascended Faithful. Um, and so if you, if you got a few bucks, pop on over there and, uh, and help us out. And if you have a little bit less than money than that, you know, just, just, just check us out anyway. You can get ad free versions of the episodes and, and all that sort of stuff coming up. I think the last little bit of news is, uh, and this is a wish me luck this month. I am talking with, uh, the rusty quill. Um, this is another knock on wood. They are a pretty major podcast production outfit out of, um, England, I think they may be in Wales. I can't remember. I, I, I'm, I'm beside myself. I'm even trying to guess, but they are responsible for or have partnered with to help boost the overall profile of shows like the Magnus Archives, which is I'm pretty sure the, their their crown jewel uh, creation. Um, if you guys don't know about the Magnus Archives, uh, it, it's a it's an audio phase, like one of the OG audio fiction podcasts. And also it is, um, they just did the Kickstarter for season two of it. And it's like at a million dollars or something it's obnoxiously high. I mean, the last time I saw it, it was the high end of six figures, how much money that they've raised and it might be still going. So uh, check that out. Um, but yeah, I might be working with them, partnering with them, uh, maybe making some stuff through them. I'm not exactly sure how it's going to go, but I'm doing that meeting very soon. So wish me luck. Now on to today's episode today, I'm not going to be talking about any, uh, specific media properties. We are launching the very first episode of what I basically call the, uh, the, the, the HLC interview series. I don't know. There might be a night. There might be a, like a sweeter, there's a sexier name for there for that, for this program somewhere. But basically, um, going forward to just kind of like freshen stuff up and not have me always just bitching and moaning about, uh, inadequate properties and, uh, maybe just to spice things up for you guys. I am going to start doing some interviews with random people. And now that I've been going to conventions, I've met a lot more random fucking people. So, there is, um, you know, a, just a ton of folks that I can um, interview and talk about and talk to about their various things. Today, um, you're going to hear an interview between me and Caitlin Pace, the author of Mumblings. She is also a Henlow Press author. Um, this is not me being like cheeky and like trying to get my foot in the door or anything. It was just, uh, it kind of came up. I actually offered. Um, I handed my card out at the first West Virginia book fair, the first convention that I went to, I handed my card out to everybody. I handed my card out to independent authors, established authors, different publishing companies. And I literally said, Hey, call me, text me, email me. I'm trying to do this interview series where I just interview people that are creators in the indie space and, and talk to them and like, you know, try to give them a little profile boost uh, make friends, network, increase the overall uh, arching range of our of our mutual creative spheres. And I got fucking no responses, which is, you know, there's other people I was like, maybe I'll, I'll go check them out or, you know, see if they would want to publish me. But I talked to these people and there's some of them that are super serious. All, all my shits and fucking copper plate. Uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a super serious publisher. Not a fucking single callback. Uh, not, not, not a reference, nothing at all. And you know, they they have authors launching shit. I don't know what the fuck their authors are doing where they're not talking to people, but 
Fuck it. Henlow. I mean, like, literally a week and a half, two weeks after we got back from the convention. Hey, uh, this is Ke- this is Caitlin Pace from, you know, da-da-da-da-da from uh, Henlow Press. I-, I-, I wrote mumblings. Please, uh, I would really, uh, if the opportunity to come and talk to you and, and do an interview is still open, you know, can I come talk to you? I'm like, fuck yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I'm not bitching about people that are like how high profile that are too big for me in these, in these other interview games. These are I met them for the first time and learned their name for the first time. And you have learned their name for the first time too. Absolutely. Just not, not taking uh, opportunities. Very bizarre, very bizarre out there in the indie community, but not with Henlo. They, uh, they, they jump on a hot opportunity. And so I'm glad I'm going to be working with them. Here is the interview with me and Caitlin Pace coming up now. Sit in, uh, kick back. Enjoy, and I will be back. I, I will be back with you at the end of the interview to say goodbye. Hey, everybody! We're here with Caitlin Pace, who just released her collection of thirteen short stories, Mumblings. She is a West Virginia author, published by Henlow Press. And uh, Caitlin, if you'd like to introduce yourself, please uh, take it away. Hi, I'm Caitlin. I am an up and coming um, author. Um, you can find my collection of short stories, Mumblings, um, on Amazon and the Henlow Press's website. And then I also have a couple of short stories published um, in different magazines. And you can find the links to those at my Twitter, which is my name, Caitlin Pace, followed by the two numbers, zero two. So um, this is a collection of dark fiction and horror, which is good because that's, that's kind of like what my, uh, my audience is typically into. Um, so do you, do you normally work in that genre or do you, uh, do you mess around inside, outside other stuff? Definitely. So I would say about 95% of what I write is horror and dark fiction. Um, just because that has been my favorite genre for years and I've always been fascinated by it. Um, I have run a couple of, um, short children's stories in the past. Um, but those have also, um, tended to be a bit darker as well. So I guess you could say that it is pretty much all that I write. So, so do you have like, uh, do you have like a wellspring of, of darkness, you know, that you kind of like draw from or do you just like the vibe? Uh, how, how does that work for you? Um, definitely. So I, um, as a teenager, that was when my fascination with the horror genre started. And I was mostly fascinated by how the genre um, discussed topics that society wasn't um, traditionally comfortable talking about. And um, this will be a testament to how strange I probably was as a teenager. (laughs) But (laughs) I became fascinated by um, the symbolism behind different creatures and buildings and horror um, fiction. Um, one time in ninth grade, my favorite movie still to this day is The Shining. Um, and I watched a documentary about that film. And in the documentary, it said that the hotel is supposed to represent the labyrinth um, or the maze um, in the movie. And there's a scene where Danny is riding his bicycle and it seems like he's riding in a circle but he doesn't end up where he started and it doesn't um, register in your brain unless somebody points it out to you. So that was one of my fascinations. And I watched The Shining over and over again, trying to find these little things that I never picked up on before. So I think 
that the reason why I write horror so much is because I really love to utilize the darker elements within the genre to explore um, symbolism and topics within society that we're not comfortable discussing. What what, what did you say uh, is one of the topics that you most, uh, you're most drawn to where you're like, this needs, this needs some addressing. Um, I, I think it changes often as I grow older. Um, there was one point where I used, um, horror as a way, um, to discuss sexism. And I wrote a feminist horror piece, um, that was published in Dark Horses magazine, um, called Pump and Go. And that piece I wrote because I, after a series of events in my life, I wrote it um, due to these events, um, which I should probably not discuss. Gotcha. But given, the, uh, given the title, I think I might be able to guess the, uh, the devil entendre there. <laughs> definitely, definitely. But I also wrote it because I was honestly tired of seeing movies play off of the idea of a woman being a, being a victim. And I wanted... Um, a horror situation where for the first time um, in horror, at least from my understanding, um, men felt uncomfortable watching mm-hmm. and reading it um, by, in, the, in a similar way that women felt uncomfortable. So that was my goal when I wrote that piece. Um, I also love to explore um, family dynamics, especially, um, I wouldn't say broken families, but I think every family has, um, their burdens and the things that they're working through. Um, and I explore that within mumblings a lot. Um, when I was younger, when I was a teenager, I was interested in exploring different topics of sexuality and gender, Um, But I think my, um, as I get older, I'm more interested in more of the feminism and family dynamics within horror. Gotcha. And you said uh, older, but you're you're still fairly young. I I think you're, you're a student, correct? uh, Yes. Yes. So I'm actually um, only 20 years old. Um, Congrats. You got, you got a, you got a published book way before me. (laughs) Oh, oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. It truly has been um, an incredible experience. And I tell everyone that I might be 20, but I'm very much an old soul. And I feel like I'm 70 (laughs) at most times. Um, But yeah, I... um, Yeah, people tell me I'm quite mature for my age. Don't know if that's true. Um, But yeah, no, I'm very thankful that I am being published at a young age and that I am starting out at, at a young age because... Um, I just have so much time and opportunity to learn and grow as a writer. Um, and I don't necessarily have that time ticking away just yet where I feel like I have to do everything at once. I can kind of enjoy the writing process as a slower process, if that makes sense. No, 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 absolutely. And, you know, you, you take your time and sink your, uh, sink your feet into it. Um, you have this is a, a collection of thirteen short stories, but do you have uh, aspirations to um, start writing like longer content? Do you want to write one of those big chunky Stephen King grade doorstops, or do you uh, like to stick in a eighty k ninety k range? 
Definitely. So I love actually writing novels. That's my favorite thing to write. Um, I love the slower process um, and how long it takes to work on them, which is what most people don't like about it. But I really enjoy it. Um, And I'm working on a novel right now. Um, It's currently at 50,000 words. So it's about halfway um, through with the first draft. But I've read novels in the past. Um, None of them of which I would feel comfortable um, publishing. Um, but I very much enjoy the process. And then my mom and I have actually um, worked on a novel together, although it is quite short, but the short um, format um, works for the storyline. And we're working on getting that published right now. Heck yeah. I've always, uh, I've always kind of loved, I, I like working on novels too. And I'm, I'm, overly winded i think uh, any of my viewers and listeners w- would really agree uh but i think it really does stand out I-, I make all kinds of different stuff but the cool thing about a novel really is um how much of it's your life it takes up i think uh if you enjoy that aspect i, I like looking back and i'm like oh my god that chapter i wrote that in summer of last year and then that was like last fall and you sort of have your whole life you know kind of wrapped up in the pages Definitely. No, I completely agree. It's kind of like a scrapbook in an odd sort of fashion. Do you ever see yourself, uh, do you ever find it difficult to to stay focused on specific projects? Do you like to bounce around and, and work on different stuff? I do like to bounce around and I think it's because um, I am in college, so it's kind of hard to dedicate um, long chunks of time towards a project. Um, but I think that will change, uh, once I graduate, um, and do other stuff. Um, but yeah, I tend to bounce around. I time myself when I write, um, just to make sure that I meet my writing goals, um, for the month and I do set goals for myself. Um, so I tend to write for 15 minutes, um, take a break, do whatever I need to do, come back, write for 15 more minutes, and then if I am not as busy, I won't time myself um, and I will just write for however long I want to for that day. Um, and those days are always my favorite. Hell yeah. So um, what's your what's your total goal per month? I'm terrible at math. Or do you, does it does it mix up or do you have like uh, threshold goals? Like, you know, I, I give myself a gold medal, so to say, if I get like, you know, at this amount of time or I, I'm a bronze medal if I get this amount. Definitely. So I try to, um, I make my goal before the start of each month and I try to base it, um, from what I already can expect from that month. So if I know that that month is going to be busy, then I won't set an extreme goal. Um, so the goals are not the same each month, but I set them in the amount of hours that I dedicate towards my writing. Um, and usually usually I try to set the goal for an hour each day um, towards my writing. And that can include anything from writing to researching publishing opportunities um, to marketing my work on social media, just to make sure that I hit all three of those major points. Um, and while I would love to dedicate even more time to my writing, um, that is what works for me um, at this moment in my life. And I have been quite happy with the results. I think as creatives, we always wish we could do more um, with our art. Um, but I have been happy with the results that I've been making. So I've been sticking um, to those goals. 
Awesome. And, uh, you know, I guess it's, it's really panned out for you. You're getting a lot done. I went to college too, and I got, I got next to nothing done. I think I tried to start like three novels and I didn't finish one until I'd been out of school for like at least two years. But you do, you do really start getting a lot of, a lot of time. So I gotta, I gotta give you your props for that. Managing to get um, multiple novels done and uh, an entire short story collection. And, oh, thank uh, you. I appreciate that. Heck yeah. And uh, onto that, some mumblings. Um, how did you um, accumulate these stories? You know, did, did you write with the intention of putting together a collection? Did you kind of have a lot of stuff sitting around and you're like, hell, 13 is a good number. I'm going to pick these out. Definitely. So mumblings was not a strict plan um, at first. I wrote the first story, which is not the first story in the collection. I think it's towards the middle called The Case of Emily Peter. And that story is based off of a place in my hometown. I'm from Charleston, West Virginia. And one of my favorite places in Charleston is the Carriage Trail. Oh, yeah. And I've yeah. been there a bunch of times. I, I love oh, the Carriage yeah. Trail. My wife is also from Charleston. So I've, uh, I've walked over there. I've passed the train station a million times. It's the best in the fall. It's pretty much one of the best, like the most beautiful places in the city. I won't steal your thunder, but please continue. No, that's great. I didn't know um, about your connections to Charleston. So that that's truly amazing. Um, but yeah, so I was hiking on the carriage trail one day and I noticed the sign that said um, how they found two bodies um, on the carriage trail when they were constructing it. So I just began to think about these um, two bodies and I researched it and couldn't really find anything. And they kind of took... Um, they kind of became characters within my mind. And so long story short, I wrote the case of Emily Peter off of one of the um, bodies that was found. And then I showed it to my mom and my parents have always been huge supporters of my writing, which I am forever grateful for. Um, and I showed it to her and she actually said that I should write a collection of short stories based off of West Virginia folklore and other stories from the state. Um, and I thought that was a great idea. And this was dur during 2020, so the start of the pandemic. Um, I didn't have anything better to do, so I decided to just start writing these short stories. Um, and they're all based off of stories that I heard growing up. So some of them are family stories, um, such as Papa Doc. Papa Doc was actually my um, great-grandfather who lived in Thurmond, West Virginia. And Thurmond is now a ghost town, um, but he lived there when it wasn't a ghost town, and he was the town doctor. And my mom has tons of stories from him, so I wrote that. Um, and then I wrote The Tell of Whispering Way, which is a retelling of The Mothman. Um, and that serves as one of my favorite um, stories because I really try to capture um, the kind of mindset that I feel a lot of young people have from West Virginia, mm -hmm. which is the desire to want to leave the state for so-called better <laughs> opportunities, but also feeling the longing to stay because that's where you're from and that's where your family is. Oh, um, I really so get that. Definitely. Uh, it's something me and my wife talk about all the time. Like it would be great to move back to West Virginia, but it is like if you don't specifically have this thing, you know, one of these 10 jobs that you can do in X place, like there is just nowhere for you to be. 
Man, I feel Definitely. Bad so many people love West Virginia. I, I talk to all kinds of folks from there that my wife knows. And then, you know, if you wear a West Virginia shirt out anywhere outside of the state and somebody <laughs> sees you, they're going to come up to you. Like, why, why are you wearing a West Virginia shirt? Do you, where, where are you from? And you end up having uh, conversations and meeting people. And, and it is, you, you talk to a lot of people that really want to stay there. Um, and it sucks that they can't. Are, are you going to try to stay in West Virginia or uh, is it, is it uh, chips fall where they may for you? Definitely. Um, no, I think that's a great point that you made. And I think it's very unfortunate that um, so many people do need to um, move away for whatever reasons. Because um, it is a beautiful state. Um, it has its problems like every state does. Um, but it is a beautiful state and there's a lot of beautiful communities here. I am going to try to stay in West Virginia um, for a little while. I also am absolutely in love with New Orleans. I visited there a couple of years ago and fell in love with that city. So my goal in life is to live there for at least um, a few years while I'm young. I don't, I don't want to live there my whole life, um, but just a few years while I'm still young and then probably move back to West Virginia. Um, so I'm going to try to do that, but also life is crazy and it can take me wherever it wants to take me. True, true, true. I've lived, you know, I, I, I've tried to put down roots since my early 20s and, and failed spectacularly. <laughs> yes. Um, uh-huh. I think the best thing to do is definitely, especially while you're a young person, absolutely like just lay back, catch the wind and float around because, you know, you're really now that I'm, I'm 35. Uh, now that I'm the age I am, I really just cannot imagine moving across the country again. But when I was in my early 20s and I lived out of a backpack because I didn't own anything that wouldn't fit in one. It was it was a blast, you know, a pain in the ass sometimes, but it is great to just get around. So absolutely, that's a great thing to do. No, definitely. I completely agree with you. And I do want to kind of um, take advantage of that youthful mindset while I can um, and try to explore any um, dreams and opportunities that I have um, with that. So if I do decide to move, then that's okay too. Um, But I do have a lot of connections and a lot of people who care about me within this state. Um, So I know it will be difficult to move away from them. Yeah. And you're, um, I'm sorry, you might have said it before. I know you're 20, sophomore, junior? A sophomore in high school, yes. In high school? Oh, sorry, college. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely Um, not high school. Sorry about that. So uh, is your major writing related or is it something else? Uh, what, what do you plan on doing? I'm actually majoring in social work. Um, that is mostly because I need health insurance when I graduate. I'm type 1 diabetic. So oh, I, yeah, so you can't even risk it. Yeah, definitely. I need to be able to afford my insulin. Um, so I have to pick a major that um, it provides health insurance or is almost guaranteed to provide health insurance. Um, But with social work, I actually want to work in hospice. Um, Mm -hmm. I volunteer with hospice um, in Charleston and I just, I love it. It's, um, it is sad. It gets sad a lot, but the people who are there are just so supportive of my writing and they're so kind. Um, and everyone who works there, at least from my volunteer experiences, have tried to make it as um, beautiful of a process as it can be considering the circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I also, I since I am an old soul, I love sitting with um, the older patients and learning about their life stories um, and then sitting with the families um, and hearing about their stories. And yeah, I just really enjoy it. Gotcha. That, that sounds great. Uh, man, just, this is almost almost slightly off uh, off topic. But uh, speaking of, of hospice, um, when I was in college, I actually lived right next to, and it was no longer in use, a uh, hospice mansion. I don't even know how to describe it, but it was basically a four-story house, right, with like three livable stories in it. And it used to be the... Um, the for like a hundred years or something, the hospice for the Deaconess Hospital, which was also just kind of like uh, on its way out. It doesn't even exist anymore. The entire hospital has been demolished since I graduated in 2013 or whatever. But um, that house was definitely one of the creepiest places. But it is also sort of like really, really cool thinking about how it was. It was like nice, you know. I mean, when once it's abandoned and stuff, it's not the best, but. It is nice to think that instead of just, you know, some sort of like antiseptic, sterile place, all these old folks had this nice like kind of house for, uh, you know, talk to each other, kind of hang out in and, and still kind of live a little bit before the end. Definitely. No, definitely. Um, and I would love to explore a place like that. Um, it sounds like it's haunted, um, which I and my family, we love to go ghost hunting um, just as a hobby. Um, so I don't know if um, that would ever be allowed, but that could be a fun ghost hunting spot um, to go Unfortunately, to. Unfortunately, impossible now. It's been demolished. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, I actually got knocked <laughs> down my first year in college, so I, I had very little time. To, uh, to kind of like see it and stuff, but it actually had a, a fire escape that led all the way up to the roof because there were um, like there, I guess there was just like one tiny room up there. So they had to put the fire escape all the way up to this little tiny, um, I guess you would call it a garret apartment at the very top. And so we would sit on top of the roof and it was actually at the top of a straight street, um, which you probably don't know if you're not from Cincinnati, but straight street is at the very top of the curving part of the hill that leads up to the, to the college itself, university of Cincinnati. And so you can look down into the entire uh, midsection of the city and see to the other side of the hills on this uh, giant Valley that uh, Cincinnati is built into. And that was really cool. But unfortunately now that's incredible. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry for interrupting you, but that just, that sounds like an incredible experience. Yeah, yeah, it was a blast. Unfortunately, is a you know, I guess it's 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 literally it's in the history books now. But um, all that's uh, all that's apartments, uh, unfortunately. But you know, hey, that's the way things go. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Mm-hmm. So back to your stories. My bad. Uh, what would you say is uh, is your go to? If I if I have some of my, uh, my my people come, they check out mumblings. What what's the story that you definitely want them to read first, even if they don't start with the first story? Oh, that's a good question. Okay, it depends um, what type of horror you like. Um, if you like more intense um, edging on splatterpunk, I wouldn't label it as splatterpunk, but it definitely um, toes the line in that area. Um, I would recommend Papa Doc. Um, that one, um, that one's one of my favorites because of my family connection um, to it. But also, I'm just really proud of how that one turned out. Um, and then if you are 
younger, I would recommend The Tell of Whispering Way. Um, and then if you like more psychological um, horror, I would actually recommend the short story Mumblings within the collection. Heck yeah. And so, uh, you know, what, what would you, which, which one's your favorite, your, your go-to? Is it Mumblings? Oh, that's a good question. So it changes a lot. Um, I would say the two of them are um, Papa Doc and the Tell of Whispering Way. Um, but I think... The, if I had to pick between those two, I would have to say Papa Doc. Um, I'm just really proud of how that one turned out um, for many reasons. One of them is because it's um, pretty fast paced um, and I am more of a slow paced writer. Um, so I um, tried to write a faster, faster paced story with that one. Um, and I think it turned out well. It also covers a lot of um, topics um, that are unfortunately um, present within our society. And I actually asked my authors if we should censor the story because the story discusses um, abortions. That's you mean your publishers pub or editors? Yes. Okay, you said my, Well, my publishers and my editors, they work mm -hmm. as both of them um, since yes, I'm published fine. with an indie company. Um, so if I do refer, refer to my publishers, they're also my editors, um, just as an FYI. Um, but yeah, I asked them if we should censor it um, after uh, we learned that Roe v. Wade was overturned mm -hmm. um, because um, it does deal with abortions. Um, and it, although it does not explicitly state them, um, it um, is based off of true events, um, unfortunately, in a small West Virginia town where people didn't have access to abortions. Um, and they had to go about um, what they had to do um, in those unfortunate circumstances. So I asked them if I should censor it, and we ultimately decided not to, um, that this was a story that needed to be told. Um, however, with that being said, especially in present day, that story can be very triggering for a lot of people. So um, I would read it with, um, if you want to, um, but definitely take it um, with a grain of salt. Um, and protect your mental health before you dive into um, these stories. Although I don't think they're as dark as horror can get. Um, I do think that horror should serve as an escape first and foremost. And if you're destroying your mental health by reading these stories, then I think you should just wait um, and protect yourself first. Gotcha. So you're definitely a, a fan of using the, uh, the trigger warning um, to help prevent people from getting triggered by a potentially harmful experience um i somewhat am and somewhat am not so um and the reason why i say that is because i am almost never triggered by anything i've seen mm -hmm. very intense um horror movies and i am dis uh, disturbed by them um but i don't spiral into a mental health decline um from watching them or reading them um, but with that being said, I have met quite a few people who have spiraled into um, mental health declines because they experienced a story that was too intense for them. 
Um, and I don't want anybody to um, delve into destructive behavior just from experiencing my stories. So while I don't um, put trigger warnings on my stories, I do support them. And anytime I recommend a horror story, whether it's mine or somebody else's, I always ask that person if they are triggered by anything before I recommend it to them, um, just to make sure that I'm not recommending something that could cause them to spiral. Gotcha. And that's a good, that's a good interpersonal consideration. And there's actually a bit of a, uh, I guess you'd say a discourse going on on uh, Twitter a few months ago um, between some higher, high, mid-high profile um, authors of, of horror and dark fiction. And it got pretty heated and it's about trigger warnings, which I'm kind of interested in talking about another author about him. Um, I, I don't really use trigger warnings exactly i think i i think it's I, I basically say you know hey this is more close to like um ratings you know pg r and i think that gives people a good sense of you know what they're going to see and what they're not going to see um but some of their discourse was that you should have uh specific you know i mean really like detailed to the point like if you are like uh, this specific thing uh actually i have a, a mild trigger uh, that is just like my squick thing. And it just absolutely kills me. And I, I'm embarrassed to even say it because I am a horror author. But anybody that gets um, a, a thin cut, like a slit, especially oh. if somebody like slits their wrists or gets the, like, ugh, it absolutely, it destroys me. I can't even describe it. And now I know everybody that listens to my podcast is going to go back and be like, oh shit, he never fucking includes those. <laughs> but that's mine. But I, I, I don't think I would personally... Um, want that it would be really difficult because that is it's very it's actually kind of intense for me um in Anne rice's uh interview with a vampire there is a scene that's like extremely long and i was listening to it too so i couldn't just go like skip through because i was driving on the highway listening to the audiobook and it was just like damn i really i really wish that this would end because this lady has been like she's been she gets you know cut up by the vampires and dies for like forever i'm like can this just stop but i don't know if it would specifically be fair for me to request that specific of a of a trigger warning from everybody and and some of the conversation was that it should be um, not necessarily mandatory, but like socially impermissible to not include them. What do you think about something like that? Oh, that's interesting. So I never give ultra specific trigger warnings. Um, usually the main ones that I will ask about or um, try to provide if I feel like it's needed for a person are um, rape and drug addiction. Um, intense drug addiction, especially um, where I'm from, West Virginia. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of um, people that I know have su their family members have suffered from intense drug addiction. Um, so I try to provide that if they need that as a trigger warning. Um, and then also a lot of people cannot watch rape scenes, which is very understandable. So I try to provide that also. Um, and then if there's something that's... Um, more in the public eye, like my story about abortions, then I would 
um, provide that as a trigger warning. But with that being said, if my story had come out and Roe v. Wade was still in place, I wouldn't have provided that as a trigger. Um, so it does change um, based on the political climate. Um, but yeah, for myself personally, I never look up trigger warnings. I go into stories completely blind and I almost always finish them. There's only been one movie um, out of all the books I've read, TV shows I've watched, and movies I've seen. There's only been one movie that I couldn't finish, um, which was Cannibal Holocaust. Oh, and yeah. Was, no, I, I know. Yes, absolutely. Definitely. Absolutely. That one was because um, there's a rape scene in there that was way too intense for me to watch. Um, and it... Um, didn't it wasn't about escapism anymore while watching it it was no um, cannibal holocaust too yeah. much it, yeah yeah it's it was absolutely yeah, you do not have to excuse that one um, no definitely so i i haven't seen the ending of that to this day um but i've still seen more intense um stuff like um i think clockwork orange is really intense um and i've seen that mm-hmm. um and other stuff um but yeah i I don't necessarily think for um, minor things, um, the author needs to provide a trigger warning. I think that if the work becomes popular enough, um, then fans will write um, stuff about different what they found triggering about it um, for other fans. And I've seen this with um, a popular popular. Um, podcast called the Magnus Archives. Yeah, um, yeah, where a lot of the fans actually have created um, list of trigger warnings that they felt the authors missed out on. Um, so I think that's fine if the fans want to do that. I think that's okay. Um, but I think as authors, um, for like minor stuff, um, like cuts, even though it is triggering for you to witness that. Super I don't specific think we have though. To talk yeah, about like, it. yeah. And I think uh, I think that kind of goes into it too. I, I agree basically 100% with what you said um, with basically no real deviations. And also your point, um, which is one that I was thinking of. I didn't really even get involved with the Twitter deal. But yeah, most of the big things where, where you're going to really stumble in, you know what I mean? Because if somebody's going to read one of my books, it's very rare that they're not going to know exactly who I am. You know, I, and my fan base is specifically people I almost basically know personally. Um, and uh, if I was bigger, then you do have like the big fan base. So you're either kind of going in reading something you're, you're really close to, or if it's a larger thing, you, you can, if you're a person that's at risk, very easily look stuff up. Like I, I couldn't imagine anybody being surprised by a Stephen King book if they did a little bit of diligence, you know? You Definitely. Mm-hmm. And I think the three big ones is like you said, a uh, sexual assault of, of any, any flavor uh, violence against animals, which is actually my big thing with cannibal Holocaust because it was mm-hmm. the other things were fake, but that was actually extremely real. We found out and that's completely f- horrific. Um, and then uh, children violence against children, which is some people's like absolute no go. Uh, Definitely. No, I completely agree. I also provide trigger warnings for, um, for those things as well. Um, if somebody asks me about them, um, luckily I haven't seen or read a lot of stuff that has violence against children, um, which thank goodness that people are not putting that stuff out there. 
um, aside from talking about um, topics that I feel need to be discussed in society, such as like child um, rights and um, and um, exploited labor, um, which I've seen in a few um, stuff that horror stories that I've read. But no, I completely agree with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think there's, uh, and you know, you can uh, agree with me or, or, or not, but just to, as a topic of discussion, I think there's also a degree of uh, quality of portrayal, kind of like you were saying with um, Clockwork Orange and uh, Cannibal Holocaust. Cannibal Holocaust does have a very uh, gazy, voyeuristic quality to it that is really like gross. And just Mm -hmm. like, just even just like not stuff happening, it does have a vibe where you're like, we're getting things out of the way so that I can just really just revel in something. And it's, we're trying to make this look as real as possible and not kind of, there's no camp, you know, there's no cutaway vibe. And uh, in, in like Clockwork Orange, it is supposed to be really intense, but it's got this artistic alienness to it where you're like this is st- i'm still watching a film like i know no one's being harmed in the making of this do you, do you think that that's like a good distinction to make or do you think that's not particularly valuable definitely no i think it's a good um distinction to make because i believe that the horror genre first and foremost should be um sh- as the fans of it, the fans should be able to experience escapism from it. Mm -hmm. So when you cross that line and make it feel too realistic, um, I think you're taking on more than you can handle in most um, circumstances. Um, And if people respond badly to it, I think you need to be prepared for that because they will most likely. Um, But no, as you were talking about that, it kind of reminded me of a recent film that I watched, um, Barbarian, which is getting... um, Amazing. I I gave such a glowing review. I think I talked about it for two hours on this podcast. Oh, that's great. I started listening to that. I'll have to finish it. Um, But I loved it as well. Um, And something that I think they handled so um, adapt so amazingly with that is that that film very much talks about sexual assault, but they hardly ever, if ever, show a sexual assault scene, but you still feel the impact of it. So it provided a tool to discuss that problem in society and still experience the storyline without um, delving into a reality that unfortunately so many people experience. Um, so yeah. that's one, that's one of many examples too in movies. And that's, that's something I talked about when I was talking about barbarian. It really is a perfect example of that in multiple different ways. They talk about, um, you know, race and stuff in that uh, without delving, like just making it being one of those, you know, um, it, poverty porn kind of deals, you know, like, Oh, okay. So this is just, I, I'm, this is me watching black people suffer for like an hour and a half to, to, to no <laughs> avail. Um, yeah. The sexual assault, even economic things and the economic downturn and like just the uncomfortableness of being a woman or being a man in a modern, in modern society and like getting pushed into that weird situation without ever being preachy or really like, uh, I don't know, porny or like creepy or anything like that. It was really executed well. And also like, I never felt beat over the head by it either. Yeah, no, definitely. I felt the exact same way while watching it. 
Um, and it's one that I watched a couple weeks ago and I've thought about it almost every single day. Um, so I think it's definitely, if I can be so bold as to say, um, one of the more modern classics of our time. Um, and I think that's a perfect example to use um, of how you can talk about these um, hard topics in society um, and horror without crossing the line to where it feels too realistic um, for Absolutely. people to experience it. And this will be my last statement on it because everybody knows that's listen to the previous episodes of this, that I, I, I can get distracted, but uh, spoilers aside, um, the best when she jumps, right. Mm-hmm. Did, you, did you ever expect it? Did anyone ever expect that moment? It was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't expect it up until the very last moment where, when I was like, Oh, she's going to jump. Yeah. You're like, um, oh, there it is. This is, this movie is actually perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. And I love how, at least in that moment, I felt like they very, um, swiftly, um, shifted from, um, a horror movie that discusses these hard topics to a creature feature film. Mm-hmm. And I love creature features too. Um, so I just thought that was um, very well done with that. So speaking of creature features, obviously, and you said you um, like to go into the, the, the sort of symbolism of different creatures and buildings and stuff, but uh, specifically as a West Virginian, um, if you had to pick Mothman or Flatwoods Monster? Who's your favorite? Oh, definitely Mothman. But that's because um, my grandma grew up in Point Pleasant. um, And I won't delve too much into it, but she developed dementia in her later life. um, And she was convinced that she saw the Mothman. Oh, wow. So that um, when she was younger. So that was um, very interesting for me to experience. Um, And I think that creates more of a connection to Mothman than most people have. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. No, the Flatwoods Monster is interesting, um, but definitely the Mothman. Um, and then I've also recently learned about some other West Virginia cryptids from a local artist. She actually makes paintings of West Virginia cryptids, and her paintings are amazing. Do you mind um, her shouting out her name? Definitely. I will have to find it for you. Okay. okay. <laughs> it is, um, her company is called Bali Raven. So, like, ball. And then why, and then Raven, and it's all one word. Um, and I love her work; it's amazing. Um, and she introduced um, me to the Smiling Man, um, which is so creepy. It's this like guy that just smiles all the time. And then the Vegetable Man, which is another alien. Um, something that I love about West Virginia folklore is that it's either very creepy or you can very much tell that the people who believe that they saw these creatures were on drugs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's always fascinating to learn about. Absolutely. So, um, yes, with, with all that going, uh, with, with that stuff you know, said, what, what are you looking, for, uh, looking forward to working on? I finally got that out. Um, Coming up, you know, what kind of projects do you have ahead of you? So definitely. So I am working on a novel, but that's still in the first draft. It has about a good year before I feel comfortable sharing it with people. Um, But something that I love about that piece is that the main character is type 1 diabetic. um, And it's all centered 
the storyline um, is a horror storyline, but it's centered around um, the struggles that she experiences um, with her condition. So it's just been very amazing for me to be able to tell um, the story um, through her. And then something that's a fun project that my mom and I are working on, um, and we finished the first book in the collection, we are going to make it into a series, um, is that we're actually working on a collection of choose-your-own-adventure-inspired um, books. Oh, nice. But they're horror-based. So the first one is a slasher. It's called Choose Your Fate. Um, and it takes place at a summer camp. Um, and you have to choose like how you're going to escape the killer. Just as a heads up, and I don't know if you know this, because it's not always well-known as much anymore because the Choose Your Adventures aren't around as much as they used to be. But you cannot name your book Choose Your Own Adventure. Definitely. So we actually named it Choose Your Fate. Um, gotcha, but gotcha. it's inspired by um, those books. Uh, the uh, the whole that whole name is actually fully trademarked, and people didn't even know it. And so people were releasing books called like Choose Your Own Adventure, and then the title and stuff, and they all got sued by the same guy. Oh I no! That, yeah, sorry. Definitely no. You're good. That's good to know, though. Yeah, we um, actually anticipated that. Um, so it we are instead of choose your own adventure, we're calling it choose your fate. And then, um, like a subtitle, the first one is called Camp Melt Away, um, which goes along oh, with the yeah. storyline. Without That's got a good goosebumpsy vibe, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like goosebumps for adults. Uh, they had choose your own adventures, it was called like choose your fright, I think, or something is you know, very close. But uh, those, I remember those when I was a kid. I remember one specifically forced me to learn math to try to solve it because I didn't want to cheat and look at the uh, look at the ending. And, no way. Um, yeah, I was reading them. I was like eight. I mean, this is the 90s, right? And so um, I was, it was teaching me how to uh, subtract because you needed to know what how old somebody was when they died with just the numbers on their tombstone, which is crushingly easy when you're, you know, uh, Post collegiate and stuff, but when I was eight, I was just like, I can't, I can't subtract four digits from four digits. And then the thing said, No, actually, you can just subtract if it's any person's lifespan can't go over a hundred years. So if you just subtract these numbers like this, you'll always know. It'll just pretend like it's a hundred. And I went, Oh, and I, I thought I was the smartest eight year old in the world. I still got it wrong though. <laughs> The choices, the choices were like 81 years, 82 years, and 83 years. And I was just like, this one. And then I go to the page that is the selection. It's like, all right, well, you're unfortunately, you just got your head chopped off by the, the night. Whoops. Oh, no. <laughs> Those sound like so much fun, though. I'll have to check them out. Um, oh, they're a blast. Oh. Yeah. Unfortunately, I was um, born during the time where Goosebumps was still very much popular um, by R.L. Stein. Mm -hmm. um, and I grew up with a lot of Goosebumps, but we didn't have a lot of the um, great horror um, stories from the 90s because I didn't grow up in the 90s. Um, but now I can experience them. Um, I just think not those are all rare, too. I, I feel like I've heard that some of them actually go for money, the actual physical copies. I would bottom if you want to get if really to date myself. I asked my mom to get one of those from the book aisle at Toys R Us. So it was when mm -hmm. Toys R Us existed and had a book <laughs> aisle just to basically hold the sheer amount of Goosebumps books that they had. 
And uh, the first one I got was that one, which is like Night in the Graveyard or something. And then there was one where the kid plays video games, which might even be the same one as that. And then the last one that I can remember is a mummy. And you're, you're trying to survive a mummy in San Francisco at the San Francisco Art Museum. It's the weirdest shit. <laughs> that sounds like so much fun, though. I'll definitely have to try to um, find them somewhere. I might have to, like, dig deep somewhere, but I'm going to try to find them now. It's Absolutely. a mission. <laughs> so um, uh, one of the final questions here, what are you, what are you reading right now? What are you reading? Uh, obviously, you're watching Barbarian, but do you have any authors you're uh, looking for or things that found their way to the top of your TBR pile recently? So I have a TBR pile that will definitely outlive me. Um, yeah. I just finished Billy Summers by Stephen King a couple of days ago. Um, and I, I really liked it. Um, but, and I should have expected when I went into this, it's not that scary. And he didn't want it to be that scary. He wrote it to not be that scary. Um, but I was in the mood for something scary. So when I was reading it, I was a little disappointed, but it's still mm-hmm. great. It's a great book. Um, And then I'm also reading now um, Hollow by Selena Myers. Um, She's she's a great author, but she's also um, most known for her sleepwalking videos on TikTok. She goes by Selena Spooky Boo. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And she has a great um, podcast that I love listening to as well. Um, That's also, it's called The Haunted Estate. I think you can find it by Selena Spooky Boo. Um, And then I am just constantly looking for new horror. I have recently become obsessed with um, indie horror and locally published ones. So I try to find those um, mostly through Twitter. And anytime I see one that catches my eye, I take a screenshot of it. So my camera roll is just filled with pictures of what I hope to be my TBR one day. Um, So, yeah, I mean, there's so many great stories out there. Um, And where I'm so young, I get to experience these um, great classics while also experiencing these new authors at the same time. And it's just it's a really great balance. Um, but when I was in high school, I was mostly concerned with the classics. So I've read almost all of those. Awesome. I got to say, I'm a little envious of your guys' generation. When I was younger, uh, we only had landline phones at best to contact people. And so it wasn't until I was considerably, basically in high school for a couple years before I found anybody to talk with about horror stuff. And it wasn't even necessarily a good conversation, you know? Um, no, because- definitely. I- oh, I'm sorry. No, 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 it's fine. I was just saying, because it's just such a broad genre that, like, I, I think it, it, it's literally, like, comedy, drama, and, like, horror is, like, the the unspoken third child. Because so much stuff fits inside of it, you know? Horror, fantasy, oh, horror, yeah. sci-fi, and stuff. And so you'll end up, like, talking and, like, yeah, yeah, I got three friends in 19 or 2001 who are all, all horror fans. But this guy's, like, a diehard splatterpunk-only type person this guy is just like, if it's not specifically Friday the 13th, I don't care. And then you're me. And I'm like, I just want to talk about Stephen King books, but I guess we'll all begrudgingly hang out with each other. <laughs> but yes. now you can talk to the talk to the world, which must be uh, pretty great to meet new people. Yeah, no, it definitely is. Um, and um, I've also thought about that a lot recently, too, because it used to be, from my understanding, that... Um, horror 
um, was pretty much just Stephen King and R.L. Stein, and then the classics like Mary Shelley, Shirley Jackson, stuff like that. Um, but now, although those people are amazing, and I highly respect them and the, their work. You can't say um, Anne Rice was the third wheel there. Oh uh, yes, Anne it, Rice was huge, although not as not as well respected as Stephen King. Oh, most definitely. I can't believe I forgot her too. She's one of my favorite um, authors because I'm a huge vampire nerd. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've read almost the entire Vampire Chronicles um, and I'm loving the new um, interview with the Vampire TV show. I think they did a fantastic job with it. I haven't finished it, but it's amazing. Oh, I gotta check that out. Oh, I highly recommend it. They did amazing with it. As a quick aside, one of my favorite things about Anne Rice, and I don't know if you know about this, but she was fucking furious about Brad Pitt being um, Lestat. Back yeah, yeah, I actually didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> and people talked about it like all the time. And it wasn't until after I even got out of uh, college that I actually saw an article because I was just like, it's like, you know, uh, one of those things, like a rumor. And then I read it, and I was like, oh, my God. Not only was she pissed about it, she was really, really outspoken about how mad she was. That is so funny. I actually have to tell you a story about Anne Rice. Um, I don't know her personally. I wish I did. Um, But um, when my family and I visited New Orleans, um, we took tours of the cemeteries there. Um, And in one of the cemeteries by her house that she grew up in, the tour guide actually said that she and her brother used to play in the cemeteries together. Like they would play tag and hide and seek and stuff. And my sister and I used to play in um, a cemetery behind our house together. So in that moment, I was like, oh, I'm connected to Anne Rice, even though we were so far apart. Um, But yeah, I thought that was a really cool story. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So um, I think on the way out of here, do you want to plug yourself uh, one more time? You got any parting shots you want to deliver? Sure. So um, you can check out my work on uh, my Twitter. That's my name, Caitlin Pace 2 um, And I will post the updates for all my stories there. Um, and then also I will... Um, I'm also making other social media platforms currently. Um, I'm working on a TikTok and a Instagram. So um, once those are finished, I will um, upload them on my Twitter as well. Awesome. Well, everybody, again, that's Caitlin Pace, Mumblings from Henlo Press. Look it up, buy it, check it out. Thanks again for coming on, Caitlin. Thank you so much. All right, and welcome back to the end of the program. Yet again, that was Caitlin Pace, uh, author of Mumblings, published by Henlow Press, Huntington, West Virginia, 2022. I hope you enjoyed. As always, getting into the end of this, let me remind you, if you want to if you, if you try to talk to me, if you want to hop on here and get interviewed at some point because you were a small creator or anything like that, please hit me up. Westsidefairytales at gmail.com. If you agree, disagree, any of those things with any of the comments made during this, you just want to reach out and say hi. Tyler, I fucking love you. Westsidefairytales at gmail.com. Also, we're on Twitter at WS Fairy Tales, TikTok, Westside Tyler, Westside Fairy Tales on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. Just look us up. Hit, hit, we're, we're, we're everywhere. We're everywhere. 
And of course, if you got some time, pop by the Westside Fairy Tales merch store, westsidefairytales.com slash merch. Buy yourself a t-shirt, a sticker, what have you. And of course, yes, the Patreon, westsidefairytales.com slash Patreon to support this, suggest stuff, join stuff, Westside Fairy Tales beta reader program. Everybody's really stoked. Currently in the beta reader program, you can get access to my unreleased um, novel, <laughs> my unreleased novel, Black City. We are up to chapter three. Even if you join um, after the monthly chapter drop, just the next month that comes along, once you've um, enlisted in the program and filled out the little thing, then uh, we, we'll, we're going to send you the next chapter with all of the previous chapters attached. So you'll be able to read through. So even if you want to just skip a few months and then hop in and read it, you know, chapters one through 15, uh, you'll be able to. So uh, just keep that in mind. That's always an opportunity. Westsidefairytales.com or patreon.com slash Westsidefairytales. Beta reader program is popping off. With all of that said, thank you all very much for tuning in. The next episode, uh, perpetually delayed, eternally delayed, of the Sin Carriers uh, ongoing story will be coming out, hopefully, next week. I do not foresee any delays that should keep me from finishing that on time. Um, If you guys like Sin Carriers, please give me a shout-out, Twitter. Uh, Apple, iTunes, wherever the hell you guys want. Just leave me, a, leave me a review or whatever. You know, say, hey, well, shit, man, I haven't done, I haven't been back here to this review space since 2017. Tyler, you're still the shit. I fucking love you. Sin Carriers is great. Um, just pop back there, leave a review if you want to. Five star that bitch. And, uh, and, and you know, yo, to tell, tell them Tyler sent you. Or don't. I don't know if that's against the rules to ask for a, a review. That wouldn't make any sense, though. Why, why wouldn't you not ask for a review? Everybody asks for a review. In any case, um, thank you all for stopping by. I really hope you enjoyed this. I hope you enjoy the interview series. Um, it's not going to necessarily be every month because I won't always have somebody to talk to, but it's going to be as many months as I can. And I'm pretty sure once people find out that I am scheduling interviews, I will get all sorts of folks in here. If you are a person that wants to do an interview and you are not a creator of some sort or or in production of creative things, uh, like you are an independent business person or you are some sort of uh, tax wizard from Omaha, Nebraska. I'm not interested in interviewing you. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not I am not talking to any fucking life coaches, any vitamin sellers, any uh, any 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 of the, uh, the the lower value Joe Rogan type guests. No, I'm not. I'm not not here. Not now. Not ever. No, thank you. <laughs> but until next time. As always, stay safe out there.